So good. Welcome to today's episode of The Square. We are in the holiday spirit. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. However you celebrate the holidays, we are glad you're here with us. Yes, it's pre-recorded, but we are going to be examining three of our favorite um, holiday movies, Die Hard, Elf, and Home Alone. Are you ready? Well, I'm ready. I'm so excited. Can we just get this out of the way right now? We're not having a debate. No, we're not. Because there Those is no are, debate to be had. They're Christmas movies, all three of them. All movies. three of them. So just leave it at that. Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to be taking a look because I think these movies have such an iconic... Um, backdrop that is becomes an integral part of the narrative and building the characters and yeah. telling a story and are probably why they've lasted as long as they have. These movies are, are classics yeah. and they're all pretty modern movies and they they have helped shape our culture in the last 30 years. You know, there's a I was thinking about this as we were getting ready because there's few holiday movies like there's a there's a rite of passage. My son's 9, so we're not quite to die hard yet. But he's definitely seen uh, Elf and Home Alone's by far his favorite Christmas movie. But there's the Rite of Passage that these three movies kind of, they, they, they set a, a passage into adulthood. So I'm excited. Um, all right. You want to start with an explosive start with Die Hard. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, this is a great one to begin with because, you know, if you look at the, there's many stories about the posters and the release of the posters. I'll start with Die Hard because... Some of the stories say that the original poster did not have didn't have Bruce Willis, uh, Bruce Willis on, it. on it. Yeah, but I've also heard some stories the other way around. But that the buildings weren't on the cover at first. But uh, it doesn't really matter. The point is, what I really want to get to is that the poster most people know shows Nakatomi Plaza, yep. Nakatomi Tower, as some refer to it in the movie, on the cover. It is one of the main parts of the movie. I think Bruce Willis, I will get the quote wrong, but he basically not that long ago. I think five, ten years ago, was out there at, at Fox um, Fox Plaza with, yep. where Nakatomi Tower was filmed, and or where the movie was filmed, and said that you know we made this great picture with this building right here and this in this right here. It's it's a it's a critical part of the movie, and I think the cover of the poster even says like forty stories of sheer ta- uh, sheer terror. Yeah. So it was a it, there, well, and there were so many movies that came after this one that. With varying degrees of success, tried to repeat it, but none of them got there. Yeah, not even and that I, hard to. I love it because the reason. I mean, so I think this is what you're referring to. The reason he Bruce Willis let's assume that he wasn't on the early posters because he just he wasn't. I mean, it's hard to comprehend having grown up with him as an action star. Oh, yeah. But he was fresh out of off of uh, Moonlighting. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't. He was seen as kind of like comedy and romance, not an action star. Yeah. And and the he was like maybe seventh in line for the role. Oh, yeah. Every, and they still every, had to give him $5 million, yeah. which was a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. And they had gone through Sylvester Stallone and just this whole list of yeah. A-list action, action stars. stars. Yeah. The big muscular guys thinking of at the time. I mean, you even had uh, Verhoeven, I think, was at one time attached to this project. Yeah. Of course, so he's looking at his action stars, things like that. So it's, it, it definitely changed before it came to be. And, and it's based off of a, a sequel book. Right. And Frank uh, Sinatra was in the original. The original yeah. 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 Um, so what what was because I know that I've heard some of the stories and we were talking about this just in case you want a little bit more information and you have a Netflix subscription. There's a great series they yes. do called uh, Movies That Made Us. The Movies That Made Us, and yes. all three of these movies are in there. I did not realize. I only thought Die Hard was yeah. in there, but 
the I know the building was actually under construction because they were in the middle of building it when they yes. filmed. But what are some of the things that are kind of the key attributes of the it, building? It's really interesting because this this building, you know, it's in Century City. It's West Los Angeles. At the time, it was all by itself, standing alone. Uh, there's a long backstory on how that building came to be, but it was it's for 20th Century Fox. Right. And they were in a time period um, where they were they were you know their ups and downs, very volatile uh, in the production industries. You probably know a lot more about that than I do. But you know, 20th Century Fox had had such great success with movies in the 70s. It's gone through a slump right here, right? But yeah. things are kind of coming back to be. This is also a time period when you have a lot of um, think of movies like um, uh, um, oh, the one with greed with uh, Michael. Um, oh, uh, Wall Street. Wall Street. Yep. I mean, this is this is corporate power and architecture. Corporate architecture is at its height. Um, you're also in this very late modern, you know, postmodern time period. And um, William Piera, who was the architect for the uh, trans, um, trans, trans, what's it called? The Transatlantic in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Transco. Transco Tower. Why do I get that wrong? 50-year-old building now. Iconic building in San Francisco, right? He got brought in by Fox to actually be the, ar- the architect for this project. And what's interesting is that he was late in his career, and the story goes that he um, needed a little more firepower. And he ended up hiring uh, Johnson Fain, both of them, I think out of Harvard. They were, they were, they were pretty young. It was one of their first designs, and they both came on. They ended up succeeding him later into the firm Johnson Fain today. And those here in the Dallas market may know it because – uh, the museum tower up the street was designed oh, yeah. by them. Corgan had okay. a role in that project. Johnson Fain got involved. We ended up leaving the project, and they went on to design that, what we know today. Uh, they did some beautiful towers, beautiful designs. So they did a really cool design on this building. Uh, it's got a beautiful stone on the exterior, the granite, and it's basically a building within a building. It's got a lot of postmodernity in it. They've got the – if you look at it in plan, I wish we had a picture of it, but it is two squares kind of offset, almost like a, a six-sided star. In plan, and it gives the effects of two different towers in one. And one of the ideas that you see a lot of that in architecture at the time was it allowed for more corner offices, more elements. So this overall building is just a very corporate, modern, iconic building. It becomes that. It looks like it. It stands out in the, you know, the early scenes of the movie when Bruce Willis, uh, who plays our lead character, um, John McClane, John McClane, yes. uh, he, you know, he's coming. He's coming in. The sun's setting. It's a, there's a holiday party happening in the top of the building for. The company that's 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 supposed to be the prime tenant there, right? And uh, you see the building kind of in a silhouette along the sunset, and it's just, it's very iconic at the time, right? And you're right, the movie was under construction. You know, later on, this is where Ronald Reagan had his offices. Really, I think there's some story that when he he um, <clears throat> when he moved in, they still found some clips and things and stuff because I think some of the some of the big scenes where Bruce Willis really shows his action star prowess happen up on unfinished floors in the building because. Right. Also, the building was partially occupied. Like a lot of high-rises, they already started occupying the lower floors of the building while they were still constructing above and filming at night. I, and I heard that they had to they, – they weren't allowed to make noise until after 5 because it would disrupt the lawyers on the oh, 25th floor. It would disrupt the lawyers. So th- one of the things that I read was that the kind of the, the double-story space that's kind of the main scene no, where no. everything happens inside the building um, and all the hostages are kept was the designer was looking – towards Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water as inspiration for that. Yeah. I think you get a lot of that ornateness of what they're really looking for. And they're looking for, you know, that lobby has the um, uh, um, the beautiful fish garden that's in that space. And it's very lush. It's, it's again, it's, it's trying to reinforce the power of our, our power architecture in a space and the emotion that evokes. It evokes that the Nakatomi is this powerful company 
they're having their big corporate holiday party into the year. Um, you know, bonuses all around. I believe that Bonnie, uh, that would be Bruce Willis's character, Bruce John McClane's estranged wife, Holly. Uh, sorry, Holly McClane is her name. Bonnie Guerrero. Uh, um, oh, sorry, Holly Guerrero. <laughs> Which is that's a good segue too, because uh, uh, Bonnie Bede- Bonnie Bedelia, the actress, Just, yeah, her maiden name is Bonnie um, Culkin. She's she is Macaulay Culkin's aunt. And Karen Culkin's aunt. So it's, there's a there's a whole lineage there's a here. Whole, when we get yeah, into exactly. Home Alone, we can kind of pick up that with Macaulay Culkin, the star of that movie. So one of the things that's definitely, it seems like we tell a lot of stories about it from an architectural standpoint. So it's definitely something I would imagine is front of mind is how people find their way through the building. The wayfinding, the public spaces, oh, yeah. the flow of the building. Right? Elevators are key to that movie. 100%. But he, like, looks for all of the, like, he is... Um, Completely opposed to using any um, structure that is meant for people to transit. Like he uses HVAC. He will blow holes in walls. He will yeah. ride the top of the elevator. Like yeah. the way that he transits this building is complete uh, opposite of how it's designed to be transited. Yeah, that's a good good point. But I think that I, I, what I like about all that is that you get to see the guts of a. Of a skyscraper. Yeah. It's a little one, but the way it's played up in the movie, I think they added some stories in the movie to the height of the tower, and they use um, some different tricks in the trade. You know, they have the, 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 the movie culminates with the exploding helicopter. Yeah. Spoiler alert, on top of the... <laughs> yeah. top Hopefully of the you've seen it beforehand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The interesting point, too, one of the things I heard about this movie is that one of the things that endears it to us also is that it's not about terrorists. Yeah. And, you know... That's, no one likes terrorists, right? Yeah. Nobody likes terrorists. So that wasn't a, a selling point. And, by, and I think that's what the book originally sold it as was it was terrorists and changing it to actually just being robbers. The yeah. Day. Uh, it was a heist movie. It was a heart. heist movie. Yeah. And it gave Alan Rickman, who plays our villain, um, the late Alan Rickman, fantastic character there as Hans Gruber. Yeah. Um, I mean, what a what a performance to to see him in that movie. Well, and the the as I'm and I'm sure it, it I haven't seen the one in Netflix, but I'm sure it goes over how they that iconic scene where he's dropping and how real that look is because they dropped him 2 seconds before he thought he was being dropped. <laughs> and yeah. and so that's very real terror that you see on his face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's a I, they I mean what's inter- I think you're exactly right. The way that they were kind of able to explore all parts of the building through um, you know, the idea that some of it's still under construction and the path that John McClane takes to try and, you know, nullify um, the terrorist. Is there, glass is a big part of oh, yeah. it. And so whether he's looking out the glass or the glass is exploding and this idea of transparency. Yeah, I, that's fine. I'm sorry, you can't mention the glass. I know this is a total non sequitur, but I can't think of the glass without thinking of Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live <laughs> doing the Chris Farley show where he talks about Bruce Willis walking on that glass to Paul McCartney. <laughs> the real Paul, Sir Paul McCartney <laughs> in a skit. It is it's brilliant. Let's go back and watch that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all the materials of this, this corporate architecture, the stone, they, they brought in a lot of extra granite, I think, to to explode and blow up when, yeah. you know, machine guns are firing and hitting walls, things like that. All the broken glass, the ducts that are falling, the explosions in the unfinished elevator shaft, which I'm not even sure how they did that. It's, it's, I think it's an elevator shaft that he yeah. goes through, but there wouldn't have been an unfinished elevator shaft in a tower of that size. I'm sorry, I'm showing my 
nerdy architectureness, but they that would have all been done by the yeah. time they, they got to that. I, th I think um, they wouldn't have even had partial occupancy with an unfinished. Yeah, that's what I think. But yeah. but you're right. I, I, all the uh, the the guts of the building. I mean, even on the roof scene, some of that when when McLean and uh, Gruber first you know really interact and they find out who each other are, um, and our of course our our hero knew all along. Yeah. Um, you know, it happens like on the on the rooftop equipment area or something yeah. like that. So it's like you really get a deep dive into that building. And, I, and as a as a kid, I would have seen that movie probably when I was below the age um, that you should have seen it. At. Yeah, probably, but you know, <laughs> it's a lighthearted comedy action movie. And yeah. I think that what it's what gives it staying power. I think that it holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts, uh, maybe more so than a lot of other action films of the time. Yeah. It does have some blood in it. It's got some language in it, but it's not really a gory movie. It's not really an overly um, grotesque uh, movie. It's 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 lighthearted in almost every way for a for an action movie, and a lot of that's just Bruce Willis alone. I think that that theme of fun kind of surprised me when we looked at these three movies. But before we transition to drum roll, I'm not going to tell you the next one we're going to okay. transition okay. to. Is there anything else about Die yeah, Hard? I, I think we really haven't. The only way we've addressed this movie is a Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. It's just talking well, that's, about it's a Christmas. It is a movie. Christmas movie. Yes, but is that as far as the details? Is that it, it is their their holiday Christmas party is happening? Yeah, for the company, <laughs> right? Point, yeah. But um, I think too, you know, we were tongue in cheek about that at the beginning about saying they're all Christmas movies. I think that's it says a lot too about the movie that it is something people debate. Mm -hmm. I think it adds to the fun yeah. of this film is just having that playful. There's something about speaking up and claiming it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. That gets some people really excited to do that. And, yeah. uh, and some others, I think, just kind of roll into the role of saying, uh, you know, it's not a Christmas movie, just to have the debate for just fun. Just to have the debate, yeah. Because it's, it's, you know, it's not that serious an issue because it is a lighthearted, fun, uh, you know, heist movie at the end yeah. of the day. And, I mean, the bad guys get their just desserts. Even the semi-good bad guys, you know, yeah. uh, that kind of character is in between. I mean, the good, the good guys win. Right uh, off in a limo with yeah, the girl at yeah, the end. It's got all the, you know, the cliché. <laughs> Elements of that movie, but um, you know, there's some. Uh, there's an iconic line in, in the movie. Uh, um, uh, the, there's a uh, lot of iconic. There's, that's lines that's in this true. Movie. I'm thinking of Yippie <laughs> Kaye. Oh yeah, there you go. Or, 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 I wish I could say it the way Hans Gruber does it. Yippie <laughs> Kaye. <laughs> My kids need to mute this next yep. part. <laughs> Leave that out. But uh, there, I think, is also a scene, probably one of the bloodier scenes. I'll call it, is where. One of the main henchmen who has a twin brother and yes. sets up his character to try to find uh, John McClane. He is in a gray sweatsuit and I think written in blood. Yep. Is uh, put in the chair in the elevator. Put in the chair with the yep. Santa Claus hat on, I believe. Boom. Says like, uh, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Now, uh, is it now I have a machine gun or, or come find, what does he say? Something like that. I should, get, I should know that top of my head, but it's comes out the elevator and there he is. And everyone's in uproar because they, the, the, the those on the heist, the bad guys, are trying to you know keep that keep control of the situation with all these hostages, um, while realizing they may not have the control they not think control they the have. building. Yeah, because yeah. because having control of this massive building is having control of the situation. Yeah, and I think too just the whole idea of it's a it's a very contained uh, set in that sense of this, but also it's this massive massive building. And I, I'll add to you one more note on that is that when I was when I was a kid, I remember one of the books I had on architecture when I was young talked about how the World Trade Center. It has its own zip code. It's so large. Yeah. And it's this idea, again, of that corporate architecture, corporate power, big buildings, uh, our own here in Dallas uh, city place that was built in the 80s around the same yep. time period. It actually has some similar notes and feel to that building. It stands alone outside of downtown the same way. 
and the late architectural critic uh, David Dillon described it as this this show of corporate power to build what they could have done was a whole bunch of low rise buildings over here in Dallas, and instead they went for one big tower, and that's yeah. what well, came out of that time period. Um, and I think it speaks to that. So, anyway. So, speaking of tall buildings, transitioning to New York and Elf. Little Elf. Which, again, like that whole theme of fun. And I love how John Favreau made a decision to kind of pluck the nostalgia heartstrings yeah. by, um, you know, having the majority of the first part of the movie be this kind of stop motion esque um, throwback to Rankin and Bass and. Um, Rudolph, Ray, and, yeah, Rudolph, yeah, and yeah. absolutely, and and uh, then he comes with this, and and I, I read something where it was really important to uh, Will Ferrell to keep this kind of childlike feeling to Buddy throughout the entire movie. Oh yeah, and one of my favorite innocence parts, an innocence, and I I noticed this when watching it for the first time with my nine year old, and um, he goes to pick buy a gift. For his dad, and he goes to oh, uh, gosh. Gimbal's and picks up the lingerie. It's like yeah. this looks nice, like just zero concept for what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a good scene too. Also, just when you talk about the, the two parts of the movie, as yeah. far as like setting wise, and there's even this whole transition. He comes through the tunnel, hug, hugged against the wall, scared of the of the traffic flying by him as he yeah enters exactly, and and takes his. Uh, his father's um, snow globe, snow globe yeah. sees the Empire State Building and looks up and sees the Empire State Building. Is there is there a more iconic building that's have as as much history around it than the Empire State Building? Oh gosh, it is. It is truly uh, one of the the embodiments and architecture of the American century. Yeah. Um, and what was accomplished there, and and then goes into not just all the industry, but the movie industry and, and yeah. film and these kind of things. I think that, you know, the next movie we're going to get into after this is another whole facet of the way we live, suburban life. Yeah. This captures the urban side, the, the big city and, you know, what what that means to be in New York City and to go to the Empire State Building. And I, I got a little anecdote I want to share here. So the um, winter of 2003... Corgan was about to our, our New York office at that point was probably six, seven years old, I'm yeah. guessing. And we were still in the Chrysler building, just not too far away from the the Empire State Building. Yeah. And I came, I was I was at school. I was uh, in graduate school and actually I had just done a model, a big three foot tall model of the Chrysler building for my classes. And I went to New York over this Christmas before I graduated to uh, try to get a interview with Corgan in New York. I wanted to work in the New York office. Okay. Um, I had family. Did you interview with Jay? I I couldn't even get in. Everyone was gone for oh. the holidays. <laughs> I, again, I'm I'm young. I yeah. couldn't figure out how to get. I couldn't even get in contact with anybody through the office another way. So I figured I'm going to be in New York. I, I was taking a trip anyway, um, and I figured I'd, I'd go to the office and try to get in. I, I got in the building and I got around. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't uh, get an interview. But while I was on that same trip, I was down in Lower Manhattan. And on one of the street markets where the pirated films are, they had a pirated copy of Elf. <laughs> now, granted, the movie had just come out in theaters like, yeah. two weeks earlier. Yeah. Was, I hadn't even seen it yet in the movie theater. I knew I was going to go home and see it, and I almost bought it for like $11 on DVD. <laughs> and I was just thinking like, gosh, the movie's already out. It's already, it's already, it's already here. here. I can take it. <laughs> well, is, is I, again, like I, I think that there's something about this idea. You, you, you mentioned it, the urbanism of the film. Mm -hmm. And he comes from, you know, the North Pole, very naive, very kind of um, trying to 
the origin story, trying to figure out who he is, and he gets there, and there's this bustle, and I'm thinking about, in fact, it, they were all, I found out later, they were all kind of throwaway shots at the, the last day of filming. They didn't even have the DP on set. John Favreau and a cameraman and Will, Will Ferrell and like one, a PA, jump in a van, and they just go around and shoot different montages in New yeah. York. So the, Jumping over the crosswalks. The crosswalk, grabbing the, the gum, gum. underneath the... Doing the twirly mm -hmm. thing. That was all just In like, and out of the buildings. Jump yeah. out and yeah. pay the guy a couple of bucks and let him live, you know, run yeah. around. And yeah. and those are some of my favorite um, pieces of that yeah. film because when we... When we're not, if, you know, for often we're in New York for work or different things, it's it's such, it captures it so well. Yeah. There is still, even with the hustle and bustle of and the business of a of a big city like that, to be able to still merge that with his his joy and his childlike nature and oh yeah and uh, and be able to pull that the, the fun part the fun of, of it the movie is I think, really well done you know kind of an underlying um, theme in that movie though is you have this yeah you have this quaint wonderful everyone gets along beautiful North Pole right and yeah. it gets to the big city and it's scary and all kinds of things are scary right he's scared a lot all the time it's coming yeah. from crossing under the tunnel. He's always scared of stuff. I mean, he's, he bounces back and he's happy. And he's excited and he's, he's, you know, candy cane, candy corns and syrup and all of his good sweets and things he does. But by the end of the movie, when everyone has to sing along to get the, um, the Christmas cheer, you know, la strong enough to power Santa Claus's uh, uh, Kringle 5000 motor or yes. whatever it's called, uh, and the whole town joins in, right? And he's on, t you know, the, they, they, they read off from Santa's, naughty and nice list over the nice list, I guess, about what people want for wish list, what they want for Christmas. And you're seeing all these people show the humanity. And I think that that spoke to like how, yeah, New York can be scary. It's this big city or just American industry can be scary, big city life. But actually there's still all these people. It's about people. There's still a humanity there. There's still humanity there. Yeah. And it brings it back. And I think that also makes it relatable to people who the vast majority of people growing up in not in New York City, yeah. who look to New York City as being this icon, right? And also, it's this new—it's this kind of reborn icon because we went through the dark period of New York City and and urban decay from the '70s and '80s, and then you have things like you know just ten years before this, you have uh, Friends and Seinfeld and yeah. all these shows that are making <laughs> New York hot and popular and fun again. And this movie shows to all those people at home like this is yeah. how great New York can be, how people can be, and it kind of captures that that American spirit in its own way. You know? You got your opportunity to nerd out in the architecture for a second. One yep. of my favorite parts of Elf, nerding out on the film side, is the force perspective, which is how they oh, accomplish yeah. Buddy looking so much bigger than everyone else. Yeah. And and what I loved is John Favreau, you know, there were definitely special effects at this time, and they could have, you know, this is the early 2000s, they could have definitely um, done it with special effects. Yeah. But he made the decision, particularly... And I wonder if it's not just because you've got this idea of stop motion and you're kind of this throwback to the Rankin and Bass and Ray, uh, um, Ray Harryhausen and different yeah. people doing the stop motion. Like he didn't, he did it all forced perspective and he didn't cover like when you're doing something with forced perspective, there's seams, but he didn't yeah. cover the seams. And if you look really closely, you can tell them. Oh, yeah. He made the choice to leave them in there and not blur them out. And and I, I love that because it's a little bit of homage to those people and the craft and the the time and effort it goes into doing it. But as a film person, you just kind of nerd out on it. And it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder, like, how they did it. And you can see – we'll put some images in. You can see how it was practically done. But I love this idea of going back to the humanity, even in the urban. He made decisions – John Favreau made decisions that um, honored 
the the craft and the humanity of the people that you know made these films and you know whatever oh, yeah. it was years and years and years and years ago. So we could have a little Bob Newhart exactly <laughs> as, his, as his father. Fun fact: I found out one of the elves. Oh. Is, Ralphie. Yes, it's Ralphie. It's Ralphie, all grown up. It's just a whole nother Christmas story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Literally. I think I knew, oh, nice pun there. Yeah. I, I think I knew that and had forgotten it. And then they did this movie this past year. It was more of a money grab, I think. The, um, oh, the, the Christmas Story 2? Well, it's like Christmas Story. They can't call it that because there was a Christmas yeah. Story 2. Which is I know what as, you're talking about. Yeah, and so he, they brought him back for that. And yeah. He's, he's fine for that. But yeah. uh, it was funny to see him in, in Elf. Um, I love that kind of little, all right. little nod. So our final fun movie, Home Alone. Home Alone. Which is, you know, I don't know that anyone, I certainly can't relate to all of the um, uh, setting that, that, uh, of the movie, but, you know, certainly there were aspects of it with, um, you know, a two-story house and the stairs are one of the most dangerous places oh in that house. No kidding. And the, the basement and just different things that you... Uh, there were little snatches I think everybody can appreciate about their own home yeah. um, growing up. Oh, yeah. I have one of my favorite lines in that movie, which is – it's not a big line, but I like to – it's obscure. But it's a uh, – this is it. Don't get scared now. Yeah, exactly. When it's ready for the, five, the right third act. Gun, yes. and, and that scene he rolls – I'm getting ahead here. He rolls out a poster with all of his booby traps. He has set in his yes. parents' home that he is in Home Alone waiting for Joe Pesci and um, Daniel Stern to come yes. break into the house. And I remember that over that winter break, I got my mom to go to the local grocery store and get me from the arts and crafts section one of those big posters that yeah. you use. And I made my own little map. <laughs> of the like house. That. Yeah, I was. I guess I probably was nine or ten years old when that happened. It was a forbearing <laughs> to you being an architect. <laughs> probably was. But I remember we had it on – no, it wasn't on VHS. Maybe it was the next Christmas I did that because we had it on VHS. And I remember pausing it. So I could get a good view of the map and try to copy the map for the brief moments on the screen. But let's back up. I think everyone knows Home Alone. Yeah. This is John Hughes and Christopher Columbus at their finest. They're you know, writing, producing, directing together. Um, this this movie, like so many of John Hughes' films, set in Chicago, set yeah. in the suburbs of Chicago in a massive uh, – a real home. Um, I think it's on like – It just sold on Lincoln. For like $1.5 Yeah. It's it's I'm not sure just sold sold a yeah, while back. Yeah, it's it is a people still come to visit it though. Oh, I bet so. Um, but it is a kind of a colonial Georgia New Georgian yeah. home, beautiful home for what it is. But it's a McMansion. Yeah. And I have often wondered uh, as I went into architecture school, you know, eight years later, seven years later from this film, and kind of learned more about urban sprawl and suburban sprawl, and I've always wondered how much in the zeitgeist of of where we live is based is it was influenced by Home Alone and this house mm -hmm. and this idea of what it meant to be what well, we say middle class but it's very upper the upper, upper middle, middle class, class. Yes. but successful upper middle yeah, class yeah yes. and I think that it had to inspire a lot of people to say I want a home like that because yeah. a home is essentially a big symmetrical box with a massive stair in the middle a basement an yeah. attic and it is just dripping with splendor all throughout and fun fact that the interior design for this is is awesome so the whole film was the home's the, the location the home is only used for the exterior. Right. The interior inspired the set, but they did it over at a local high school where John Hughes, I think he filmed two or three of his movies yep. in that same in that same gymnasium. And when they did the set design for it, I remember reading somewhere that the real popular colors at the time, and I remember this because it matches my my parents selecting their grapes in their house <laughs> that year. 
um, or like navies and these like real soft pinks of the you know early 90s, late 80s, really late 80s. And they chose not to do that. They went with red and green throughout. Yeah. They, they, they matched the upholstery. Gold. Something a little yeah, gold. Brass. More timeless. And I think it adds to the timeless, time, the relative timelessness of that Christmas movie. Yeah. It truly is a, a modern classic. Um, well, fun. and from a, from, again, from a fun standpoint, not just the watching of the movie, but the creation of the movie and creating all of the um, little pieces like uh, Angels with Filthy Souls. Like the, the, the black and white, both in Home Alone 1 and 2, were all, those aren't real movies, those were created for oh, yeah. this movie, and the fun they must have had <laughs> filming that part of it to be in the, the primary movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, everybody right. wants to shoot a black and white gangster film. <laughs> I, I, for years, thought those were real movies. I was oh, trying uh, to find them like a little bit before, before I connected in my little young brain. I, I, my naive uh, elf, buddy elf-like brain that it wasn't real. Well, but I love magic I mean, of movies. I love the idea because even that again, you, you're talking about how different elements of the setting connect with people in their their um, childhood. But even that, like, just I, I, you just wouldn't think trash gangster movie as part of this, you know, warm family classic. But it it fits so well, yeah. and it's an excuse, I think, really, when we're at on our, you know, and during the holiday season, we have some time off. We're sitting around with the family to just to indulge in some of that, you know, the the films and the stories that are just there simply to entertain or or to be able to be just enjoyed. Oh yeah. Well, we had a, um, I've had a thing with my daughter where since she was very very little that when I set up the Christmas decorations every year, I play Elf in the background. It's one of those kind of opening yeah. movies. And at this point, I think between my partner Audrey and I, we have um, just about every major Christmas Christmas classic actually purchased now on on some kind of digital content. Yeah. So we'll have to get onto Amazon and okay, we're going to pull up this movie or that movie. And, and you know, Home Alone is one of the ones we're going to watch several times. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, there's a lot of new Christmas movies coming out every year, but there are few that have the staying power and the likability by such a wide audience the way that Home Alone does. I mean, I, it, to me, it's the equivalent of Mariah Carey and yeah. <laughs> All I Want for Christmas. I mean, it's like it's right there with it. It's like. Well, but I think that, I mean, I was thinking back to some of the other Christmas movies we're not talking about that were that were good. Um, oh, yeah. I love Christmas with the Cranks and some of these other films that come up afterward. But they, the setting is very, very similar. Like they take a lot of cues, I think, from Home yeah. Alone oh, yeah. in the neighborhood setting and mm -hmm. in the architecture and in the, the suburban feel of them. Mm -hmm. Well, think about. Uh, the way, uh, you know, one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about, the, we juxtaposed El, uh, um, uh, Ex Machina to uh, The Favorite. Yeah. And I think in the same way you can do that with, with Die Hard and Home Alone. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the building, the setting, plays an integral role as a major character in the film. 100%. And traversing up and down the guts of these, these buildings this house, this yep. massive, I mean, this house isn't just a house. It is a massive house. Yeah. You couldn't have done this. And I grew up middle class in a three-bedroom home, like, like a lot of people have, may have had the opportunity to grow up in with the siblings, and it was nothing compared to this house. Yeah, oh, 100%. You wanted to go to this house and go into this basement and go into these other bedrooms and, and all this, all, you know, the attic and all these spaces up there. I mean, you think of Macaulay Culkin, who, who was nominated for an Academy Award for this. Yeah. This movie got nominated for, like, at least four Oscars, I think, three Yeah, or four I think Oscars. that sounds right. Ridiculous. Um, his little, his real life little brother, Kieran Culkin, plays his his cousin. That keeps wetting the bed. Who's now on? Um, gosh, what? Why am I, it's not billions? It's 
Succession. Succession is another yeah. great, yeah. incredible TV show. Uh, overlapping all those. Um, well, okay, so things that the three of these share, we've already talked about having fun. I definitely think the architecture, because we, we've talked about this in a couple of the other episodes, architecture definitely has a huge influence in how the story is told, how the setting is, and, and what is it that is, um, what makes these movies memorable and what makes yeah. them great. Um, is there anything that you see in the Home Alone movies that um, um, acts as a backdrop that we may not realize? Well, I just think it goes to the credibility of uh, and the importance of the role of architecture in all facets of our life. The built environment is something we're all part of. Um, unless you literally live in the wilderness, you spend a good part of your time inside the built environment every yeah. day. And all three of these movies, it may or may not have been the very first poster, but all three of these movies have iconic posters or versions of that have their architectural settings in them. The home and home alone is in several different versions, a silhouette in one. I think in another, the, the our two villains, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, are, are leaned up against the glass to right. break in the home, and Macaulay Culkin's front and center, and you know, Die Hard with the tower exploding on top, and we see we see Bruce Willis. I mean, it's it's and even in uh, Elf, and I think the probably the version everyone thinks of doesn't have. It's him with the hat. Yeah, but there, there's a version that's, that's uh, you see a lot too. And I think it's on the cover of like the DVD when you used to right. buy it. The one I saw maybe in New York for, for <laughs> sale has the skyline yeah. of Manhattan. Because, that's, again, that's the setting uh, for that movie. And I think it's just a good reminder that when you – we haven't done this, but I think if you polled everybody and asked about each of these movies and about some details about them, I, we will really suspect that everyone would bring up the home or Nakatomi Tower yeah. – um, and probably even New York City for Elf. And a lot of the other Christmas movies you could talk about, uh, or just movies in general, may may not have that. I mean, I, you yeah. know, you don't necessarily think of that. Like when you think of one of the most classic Christmas movies, um, um, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. There's a lot of architectural settings in yeah. that movie, but do you think about them? Yeah. Or, you know, do you think of I, other iconic scenes that don't necessarily involve the building? Yeah, so. you're absolutely right. Uh, well, I don't know. Wonderful Life, I think about how the transformation of the house throughout the course yeah. of the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I can totally relate to the banister coming off because that's oh, yeah. happened to me in real life. But I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. I, there's, there's, there, again, the, the more we talk about it, the more I see it when I'm watching films is the influence that yeah. that setting has. Yeah. Well, hopefully you're able to enjoy the holidays. We definitely wish you a very happy holiday. Make sure you're... Uh, watching as many films as you can cram in. Oh, absolutely. With as much eggnog cider, spiked yeah. cider. Yeah. I mean, you know. This is when I watched nuts. the Star Wars trilogy, actually. It's like, it seems like they're always Ex on except, TV. Except one, two, and three. Well, after the trilogy. Oh, okay. There you go. Good. <laughs> well, okay. happy, happy holidays. Uh, hope you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season, and we'll see you in the new year. Yeah. But, uh, ho, ho, ho. Come on, do it with me. Do it with me. You can do it. Ready? Ho, ho, ho. 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 <laughs> see you next time. <laughs>